As usual, I gotta wait for Angie to stop talking so I can start. Um, good morning, everyone. It is really, really good to be back in the building with all... She's still talking. <laughs> I had moved on, and she's... Anyway, um, it's really, really good to be back in the building with all of you. Welcome back. Uh, celebrate that we can be back together. Um, Zoom Church worked really well. I was really grateful for it. Um, and most of you were able to do that with us, but I know a lot of you weren't able to or it was complicated or what, for whatever reason. Um, it's just nice to be together, to sing together. I hated asking everybody to mute when we were singing on Zoom Church because I love hearing your voices. Um, for me personally, really glad to be playing drums again. For you personally, really unfortunate you have to hear the drums again, but... <laughs> too bad. Um, we're going to sing, we're going to pray, we're going to do all the things we do as a church, but we're going to do it together for the first time since October, and that is a real blessing. Uh, the sermon is all about um, being together and it being this being a sacred place. It's just a good thing to celebrate. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited to be back with you guys, so let's let's start with prayer. God, we thank you uh, that we can be your people and that we can be your people together in person. I know a lot of us weren't able to be on Zoom Church for a lot of different reasons, so it is very good um, that we get to sing together in person, we get to pray together in person, we get to learn and grow together in person, and we get to love one another here in person. Um, all of those things bring glory and honor to you, which is what this is all about. Pray that as we pray, sing, learn, grow, we do it uh, with your glory in mind, not our own. Um, and uh, thank you for all who are here, and we do think of those who couldn't be here this morning for whatever reason. We do all this for you, God. We praise you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm very interested in the idea of sacred places. In the book of Genesis, Jacob has a dream, and he sets up a monument with, with a stone that was there, and he names it Bethel, House of God. And for the nation that shares Jacob's name, which is Israel, that spot retained much of its holy feeling throughout the rest of Israel's existence. In the book of Exodus, as Moses encounters this, this mystical, mysterious burning bush, he's commanded by the voice of Yahweh to remove his sandals for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. And the law is full of all kinds of instructions for respecting the, the sheer glorious power of the holy place known as the tabernacle. Individuals who entered that holy place in an unworthy manner or even touched the holy instruments there were subject to execution. It was a Sacred places were a big deal in the Bible. I've been to a few sacred places myself. Probably the holiest ground that I've ever stood on was uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau, which was a concentration camp in what is now Poland. It was Germany then. It's a place where uh, racial cruelty and hatred couldn't completely stamp out hope or life. You felt Standing there at Auschwitz, you felt the strong presence of the divine in that place, an unshakable sense that he, God, was there, suffering and grieving and ultimately delivering uh, people. This summer, I had a few run-ins with sacred places as well. Here's a picture of a park. There's a picture of a park, and it's dark because I took it at night. I would go, uh, if you couldn't figure that out, it's dark because it's night. Stupid. What a dumb thing to say, but 
every night in Ontario, I would go for a run. Uh, it, it helped me to sleep better, um, helped with my mental health. And I used the, a lot of that time to pray when I was on my runs. And this is a park about two blocks from where Angie's parents live. And um, I would use that time to pray. And in communicating with the one who loves me most, I felt a strong and sacred peace. It rained a bunch while we were in Ontario, but it almost never rained at night. Nights were almost like completely uh, clear. You could see the stars and the moon and this beautiful full moon, which wasn't visible in Alberta at the time because of all the smoke. Um, but it lit the way for me on this night. So I took a picture to remember God's presence and guidance and love. Here's another piece of sacred ground um, on one that I've really come to appreciate deeply of late. Graveyards are generally peaceful and quiet places. They're intended for thoughtful reflection, and there's the added weight of grief that makes them so holy. And this is a picture of Angie's beloved Grandma Daly, her final resting place that her and I went to visit. She died in June, and this was our time to grieve. We, we weren't able to come for the funeral. There wasn't really a funeral. Um, she was a great woman, and we both loved her very much, Angie especially, obviously. And being in this spot, we felt some gratefulness. She was a woman of faith, and she had been suffering but there was mostly sadness, which is okay. We've talked about um, sadness and sorrow a lot this morning. Sadness and sorrow can be sacred. And this unfortunately freshly tilled earth represents holy ground. Here's a happier one. I love the Great Lakes. I love visiting the Great Lakes. Um, we got to visit Lake Erie as a family along with Angie's brother and sister-in-law and three of their four boys. The Great Lakes have a way of making you feel appropriately small. Not inconsequential, but small. They are also beautiful, especially when they're enjoyed, enjoyed along with people you love. The grandness of God, the power and the beauty of God, shared with family you were bonded to in love, it's hard for it to not feel like holy ground. Um, or I guess I should say holy water. Plus, I got a wicked sunburn on my left side, which is a consequence of not taking that holy place seriously enough. And then I came back to Alberta a week before Angie and the girls. I missed them a lot, but I intentionally planned the week as an opportunity to dig deeper into divine love and reflect on the presence of God. I flew back on Friday morning and immediately drove to Jasper for the weekend. Like the Great Lakes, the mountains have, uh, have a way of overwhelming you, and I made sure to visit a few of my favorite holy grounds, including Pyramid, Pyramid Mountain, my favorite mountain in the park, where I had lunch a couple times on a little private beach in the shadow of the park's most beautiful mountain. Instead of a hotel, I threw a mattress in the back of the van and parked at Honeymoon Lake and, and uh, read scripture, felt the peace that comes with divine love in such a perfect setting. So here's a picture of Honeymoon Lake. Um, this was first thing in the morning, all covered in mist. And you can maybe just see right here, there's a couple of loons and some other bird and the loons were calling to each other, and it was very mystical and beautiful and, and primal um, and sacred. I s spent time praying there at the, the foot of the lake. Quick visits were also made to other sacred places, Athabasca Falls. I've got about a 1,000 pictures of Athabasca Falls on my computer. This is the most recent one. Um, and also Sun Wapta Falls a little further down the road. I visited both after supper time, and there was like nobody there which is very rare. There's always hundreds of people, at, especially Athabasca Falls, but there was nobody there. It kind of made me worry that there was a bear sighting that I hadn't heard about, but what's a holy place without a little danger? Um, most special of all was the two-kilometer hike down from Upper Sunwapta Falls at the parking lot 
and then you can hike down to the lower falls through the old pine forest to the roar and tumble of the plunging white water. If you continue a little further past the lower falls, you can hike right down to the banks of the Sunwapta River. I got there right at the beginning of sunset, and it was a moment of just total perfection. There was beautiful meditation. There was heartfelt prayer. There was love and joy and peace all flowing like the waters of this picture. It was an unforgettable holy moment in an unforgettable sacred place. I was very fortunate to see lakes, mountains, full moons, graveyards with people I loved or with the lone presence of God himself. And then, after all of that beauty and power and goodness and glory, I came back to Clyde, Alberta. The big news here was that they painted crosswalks on Main Street. That's it. That's the only thing that was different. Everything else was exactly the same. My house was the same. The bathroom was the same. The bed was the same. The TV was the same. And those are the only places I went to. Bathroom, bed, recliner. Um, I assume the other rooms were all the same, but I cannot confirm because who cares when I can just watch TV for hours. Um, Compared to visiting the Great Lakes with loved ones or the waterfalls and soaring peaks of the Rocky Mountains or the graveside of a beloved family member, well, eating ripple chips in my underwear while watching Netflix felt like a significant step down from sacredness. I only had a few small tasks to accomplish all this week, and one of them involved this building. I set the sanctuary up for indoor services, finally. I took a couple hours one day to move chairs, set up mics, another couple hours to test the sound system and work out the bugs. It had been a long while since I'd been in the church, and stepping inside gave a, sim a similar sort of underwhelming feeling as when I stepped back into my house. There isn't really anything special about this building, the building itself. It looks exactly like every other Western Canadian prairie church built between 1930 and 1980. They all look exactly the same. They all have fake wood paneling. They all have fake plastic plants for decoration. They all uh, have old wooden pews and old graying chairs and old out-of-tune pianos. This is the same stained carpet as it was a year and a half ago, the same broken light fixtures, the same outdated missionary wall in the back. It's pretty underwhelming, this building that we have. Here I had just visited all these sacred sites and holy grounds. All of Lake Erie couldn't be filled with the presence of God. The entire chain of Rocky Mountains would be too small a throne for our creator. These places were filled with glory and power and beauty and love and suffering and joy and compared to such glorious sights, what hope does Clyde Christian Bible Church have to reflect the holiness of God above? How could this place ever be considered a sacred space? Before I answer that question, let's go back to those holy grounds that I mentioned in scripture earlier. As important as sacred places are in the Bible, they are still pretty funny things as well. After all, the stone that Jacob used to create the monument called Bethel just the night before it had been his pillow. It went from pillow to like sacred monument instantly. It's kind of random. The place where Moses encountered the burning bush and received his high calling was just some cave in the desert. Today, we don't know where that cave is. We don't know where the bush is. We don't know where he was. It's, it's completely lost to time. It was a totally anonymous bush in a totally anonymous cave in a totally anonymous part of the world filled with holiness. And the tabernacle, well, it was nothing more than a fancy tent. There was some gold, some bronze, some really lovely craftsmanship, but it was a tent. Such a humble tent, in fact, that David was embarrassed. David was in his glorious palace, and he looked down at God in his tent, and he's like, ugh, 
I really should do something about it. It's not okay for me to be in a palace and him to be in a tent. It was, it was um, where God chose to be, but it's just a tent. So a stone pillow, a random shrub, a posh tent, so holy that they left those who witnessed them collapsed and dazzled in worship. Small little things that become holy ground. And the New Testament is no stranger to small, humble things or mustard seed things, to paraphrase Jesus, being imbued with great sacredness and power as well. Think of the things that are considered sacraments in our tradition, the Protestant tradition, holy religious rituals. We've got two in Protestantism. One is baptism, which is what? Just some water. What's more common than some water? And then we've got communion, some bread and a drink. What's more ordinary than bread and juice? Nothing. We don't need towering gold-covered cathedrals. We don't need majestic architecture or lavish furnishings. We don't need long histories or luxurious decorations or splendid speeches, thankfully for me, because sermons tend to land on the side of satisfactory instead of splendid. We don't need all the elegant trappings of organized religion. We don't need any of that stuff. If we've got a large enough puddle to dunk someone in and some crackers and a bottle of Welch's, we've got all the sacredness we need. Except, even if we had the baptistry filled with water, and even if the communion wafers were broken and ready to be served, and even if the little tray of single-serve plastic cups was filled to the brim with with grape juice, this still wouldn't be a sacred space. Even if the guitars were tuned up and the carpet vacuumed and the chairs arranged just right, even if the sermon was written and the songs chosen and the coffee percolating, something would still be missing. It's the same thing that's been missing since October. There's nothing holy or sacred or even special about this church building. It does the job. It, it suits our needs. It's, I'm very thankful for it. But there's nothing special about it. There's, certainly there's not, nothing special about this space. Um, it's a little more special now that Nicole and the kids have cleaned it up and it looks better than it has in months, but there's nothing special about this building. On this, our first Sunday being together in the building, it's a beautiful time to remember what the church actually is. It's not a building full of traditions and music and prayer and community. It's a people full of traditions and prayer and music and community. COVID never took that from us, though it did make those things tricky for some more than others. I want to go back to the passage that we read way back at the beginning of the service. You may remember in 2 Samuel 7 how King David, who was comfortable and secure in his beautiful palace, looked with regret at how God, the true king of Israel, was living in a dirty old tent, and he declared that he wanted to build a glorious temple. You may also remember that God was like, you know what? No, no, I'm good. I like my dirty old fancy tent. I've never complained about it, and I'm happy with the tabernacle. I don't need big. I don't need fancy. I don't need cedar palaces like some kings I can think of, Davy boy. I don't need a temple at all. All I need is to be with my people. And a holy tent that moves wherever the people go is exactly how I want to dwell amongst my beloved Israelites. I don't need a palace, David. I just need my people. But you know what? I see that you're very earnest about this entire temple thing. So how about this? You won't build me a temple, David. Your hands are too bloody for such a holy undertaking, but I will allow your son Solomon to build me a glorious temple. I will honor your intentions to bring me glory, David, even if I don't really need it. And that's exactly what happened. David dies, his son Solomon follows follows in his father's footsteps to the throne of Israel. And earlier we read the temple dedication ceremony that Solomon and the priests oversaw, beginning with the welcoming of the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God coming to dwell on his throne with his people. 
It was curtained off inside the deepest heart of the building, the holiest site in all of Israel. Animals beyond count were sacrificed in worship to the God who had come to dwell in Jerusalem once again. As the priests withdrew, and I love this, I know I said this already, but I love this. As the priests withdrew, the glory of God filled the temple in the form of a mighty cloud, just as the same form that he had used to deliver his people from Egypt uh, through the desert and across the Red Sea as as cloud and fire. And that cloud fills up the temple so much that the priests can't even do their work. The priests literally couldn't perform their duties because the magnificence, magnificence of God was thicker than even the smoke we got at the worst times from the BC fires. They, they, they couldn't, God was too thick there. They had to withdraw. Talk about a sacred space and a holy ground. Um, Solomon then prays. He says, Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You've kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Solomon points to the greatness of the temple that he's just built in order to deflect the attention from the temple back to the God who made it all happen, who dwells in that temple. But the key part of Solomon's prayer is found a few verses later. Solomon says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built you? Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said my name shall be here, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the requests of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon then names a number of scenarios where people might turn towards the temple. Things like going to war, relief from famine or plague, acts of sin and injustice. And he promises that God will hear and forgive. He wraps up his prayer with this beautiful summary. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us or forsake us, which is something Jesus says word for word later in the New Testament. Never leave us or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him, to walk in obedience to him and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands. This sacred place, this holy ground, was to be a place where God's name would reside and where the people who bear his name name could meet with him. Simple as that. Father and children, uniting Uh, in his name, in sacrifice, forgiveness, wonder, worship, and love. It made such an impact that all of Israel parties for two weeks straight afterwards, and they leave that sacred, sacred space filled with joy and gladness for everything God had done for them. It's a beautiful passage, I think. It's I feel, when I read it, I feel the glory of God coming down with his people, filling the place, promising that if you pray to me, I will hear you. I think it's powerful. Chapter 8. But chapter 9 is when God actually speaks. In chapter 8, he shows up. Solomon does a lot of speaking and praying. But in chapter 9, God speaks. Um, God offers a response. He says, I have heard the prayer and plea that you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you... If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, 
I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. If you obey, then I will bless you. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and I will reject this temple that I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple, this beautiful temple that you've built for me that I've put my name on will be reduced to rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done this such a thing to this land and to this temple? And the people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. It's not all good news. Yeah, if you obey and if you respect the holiness of this place and the holiness of the name that you've been given, you'll be blessed. I will hear you and I will absolutely forgive you. But if you do unforgivable things like worship other gods, if you turn away from me repeatedly, then I'm going to crush this place and abandon my people and make it so you have to cry out to me. When you do cry out to me, I will hear you. I will return to you. But if you disobey and if you wander, then even this holy ground will be taken from you. You can build your fancy temple, you can follow your fancy rules, you can carry out your fancy religious ceremonies, but if there's no actual love, if there's no worship or obedience, there will be no presence of God. Beautiful and majestic though it may be, if you fail to live up to the name of God represented by this temple, then the name will be revoked and the building will be crushed to rubble, its gold stripped along with its sacredness. Why? Because it's just a building. There's nothing inherently sacred about just a building. As Solomon himself states, God is not in need of buildings to dwell in. He doesn't need it. The Great Lakes and Rocky Mountains can't begin to contain the greatness and glory, never mind a lovely cedar box. Never mind a humble stucco split level in Clyde, Alberta. It can't contain God. God gives us these sacred places and holy grounds so we can begin to wrap our heads around sacrifice, worship, wonder, forgiveness, and love. He gives us sacred places and holy grounds so that his children can meet with him together, as we're doing this morning, or by ourselves. You can meet with God all by yourself, too. A place like a ruined concentration camp or a graveyard helps us to meet God by confronting death and suffering and finding hope. A place like Lake Erie or Athabasca Falls helps us meet God by confronting power and beauty and finding a God who loves humble little people like ourselves. And a place like Clyde Christian Bible Church, even Clyde Christian Bible Church, with all its imperfections and simplicity, helps us to meet God in the faces of the community who journey together in life's ups and downs, sufferings and celebrations, repentances and redemptions. COVID was a big down, but God was present with us in Clyde Christian Bible Church because you are Clyde Christian Bible Church. There will be no glorious cloud that fills the sanctuary and makes it so Chris Lance can't play the drums. Probably not. If that happened, it would be pretty awesome. But there probably won't be a cloud of God's presence. There will be no thousands of sacrificial lambs because there was one lamb and he already paid the price for all of us. There will be no glorious temple. Only this humble old relic that we are fortunate enough to call our warm little meeting place between the father and his children. And you need not fly four hours to Lake Erie or drive four hours to Jasper to encounter a sacred place or holy ground. We have access to that holiness in our underwear, on the couch, if we stop to turn off Netflix for a few minutes and be mindful of his presence with us. 
wherever God meets his people with grace, giving, and goodness, and wherever his people respond with wonder, worship, sacrifice, and submission, that is holy ground. Where God meets humanity, that is holy ground, which means you are holy ground. Your very body is holy ground. The same spirit that lit the bush on fire for Moses, the same spirit who filled the temple with his glory, the same spirit has chosen to dwell within you. We can look around at each person here, and I encourage you to do so. Go ahead, look around. Look at all the people here with you. Look at them all. Look at them and see a sacred space. We can treat each other with that sort of inherent value and worth that Moses had with the bush or the Israelites had with the tabernacle. When we look at each other, we are seeing holy ground. Don't you think we should treat one another as holy ground? Take off your sandals. Take off your sandals. For the person you are sitting beside is holy ground. And more than a return to a stucco split level, today represents the return of living stones coming together in God's love, being shaped and formed together into a holy temple to serve as royal priests, as you can read behind me here from 1 Peter chapter 2. When we walk together with him in faith and love, he will put his name on us forever, and his eyes and his heart will always be upon us, just as God promised to Solomon 3,000 years ago. In conclusion, not bad. 25 minutes, been about 25. Today is a return to the church. Hallelujah. We're all thankful to be together. But the church never left. We were unified in him, built into something glorious, becoming his holy presence and sacred space in a world that's just as in need of his light and his love and his life as always. So welcome back to church. Church, welcome back. We make sacredness when we meet with God and especially when we meet with God together. It's good to be home with each of you. It's a humble little building, but it is home. And I'm glad to be home with you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. God, thank you for this sacred place, not the building itself, which is just a building. Thank you for the sacred space of your spirit in one another, brought together in unity to celebrate your name. Thank you that you share your name with us, that you build each of us as stones into your holy temple and that you fill your holy temple with your presence. I pray that we would serve as royal priests, uh, serve well. Um, I thank you for today, for all that we've heard uh, from all, all different people, all that we've prayed, all that we've sung. I thank you for all of it together. And I know that when you are with your people, that it is holy ground. So thank you for this holy ground. We praise you, Jesus. You make it holy. Um, because of your death and resurrection. We pray all these things in your powerful name, the name that you share with us. Amen. Happy Sunday, everyone. Glad to be back. Wherever God meets his people with grace, giving, and goodness, and wherever his people respond with wonder, worship, sacrifice, and submission, that is holy ground. Where God meets humanity, that is holy ground, which means you are holy ground. Can I tell you what I missed a lot about being in the building for church? I miss toys all over the place because the kids are owning this place. I just, I love that. Free range Ezekiel is my favorite. Um, I'm just so glad to have the kids like taking over church again. <laughs>